Paul was under house arrest in Rome and he was chained to a guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Can you imagine that? You're in someone's home, possibly a wealthy person's home. He would have had benefactors in Rome, but you have this guard. When Paul is talking to someone, there's a guard there. You prayed out loud in those days. Praying in in your mind didn't happen until several centuries later. And Paul was a man of prayer. When he prayed, there was a guard there. When he's reading scripture, there's a guard there. When he's sharing the gospel with someone, there's a guard there. And he was busy with the gospel when we read this letter. But being a prisoner meant that he couldn't work. He was a tent maker by trade, but he couldn't rely on that. And so he relied on the generosity of friends to meet his needs. And he wrote this letter just after he'd received a very generous gift from his very good friends at the church in Philippi. And today's passage is Paul wrapping up his letter of thanks. And when when we first read this passage, to me at least, it seems a little bit almost all over the place. It's, it's a little bit tortured in what Paul is trying to say at least to my mind. See, Paul expresses his joy to the Philippians' renewed call, uh, care for him, and he points out that the delay wasn't really their fault, but it seems he doesn't need it anyway, because Jesus is enough for him. Still, they did a good thing, and he acknowledges that they have a unique relationship with him among the other churches. They're the only church that has been supporting him. Not that it's about him at all, not at all. It's about them. It's about the credit, the, the profit that they'll receive, metaphorically speaking, in their heavenly account. So Paul's motivation in all of this is the spiritual blessings for the Philippians. And their gift is a pleasing sacrifice to God and God will repay them. And thanks, I'm doing well now. Praise God. On the one hand, Paul is really effusive with his praise and his thanks to the Philippians. On the other, does he sound a little bit awkward to you or is it just me? It's like he's trying to avoid being indebted to them on one hand, but he also almost comes across a little bit sort of super spiro in in this passage. Jesus is enough. Well, a bit of background might help us in unpacking these verses. In Greek and Roman uh, culture, friendship was highly prized and it was carefully cultivated. Friendship brought mutual obligations on both sides so that friends did help each other, but sometimes this helping one another could slip into a power dynamic as one person tried to outdo the other and putting the other person in obligation to them. Now, this doesn't mean that friendship wasn't genuine and Ancient philosophers wrote quite a bit about friendship. And I think we all struggle with this tendency a little bit. Have you ever been reluctant to accept a gift, even from a friend, because you didn't want to feel indebted to them? feels just a little bit awkward. And then when you do receive the gift, you do feel obligated. It feels like you need to reciprocate it in some way, almost to pay it back or express thanks with more than just a word of thanks. Well, Greco-Roman culture could almost weaponize this. The whole letter of Philippians is full of genuine language of heartfelt friendship and affection. Um, And in verse 15, Paul uh, indicates that 
he and the Philippians had a unique relationship among the churches. As I, he says they were the only ones who supported him. In uh, Philippi was in Macedonia, Thessalonica was in Macedonia, but then going beyond there, further in, into Europe and into Asia. The Philippians were generous benefactors towards Paul. And this might have seemed to place him in their debt under this friendship obligation idea. On the other hand, in other places, in in letters Paul writes to uh, other of his converts, he says, actually, you owe me a spiritual debt. You owe me your very life because I led you to Jesus. But it really doesn't matter because Paul completely circumvents this very tortured politics of friendship obligation by subsuming their relationship in Christ. He is obviously grateful for the gift, but he's more grateful for the metaphorical credit uh, it is to their heavenly bank account. He's been generously provided for, but it's a sacrificial gift to God who will abundantly repay the Philippians, and that's better than anything Paul could ever do for them. What drives Paul's perspective in this and, and whenever we read Paul, we have to put this central, is his utter devotion to Christ. He filters everything through the gospel for God's glory. And if you go back to chapter 2, you can read that later. But Paul's hymn about Jesus is one of the whole points, of the high points of the whole Bible. So in the context of Greco-Roman culture, this generous gift may have been perceived as the Philippians repaying an uh, obligation to Paul as a spiritual father, so to speak, or of placing Paul under an obligation. But Paul makes it clear that in Christ there is no tit-for-tat obligation. What they do out of partnership and love and friendship for Paul, they're actually doing for Christ. So Paul is genuinely thanking the Philippians for the gift and he's commending them for their partnership with him in the gospel. And that includes a financial component, but it goes way, way beyond that. He makes it clear that there's no human obligation entailed with the gift. And in fact, it's a beautiful expression of worship to God. As we've been looking uh, over the last year, really, uh, at the work of our kingdom partners, uh, many people have been moved to give out of compassion. It's heart-wrenching to hear of the plight of people who can't access even basic medical care or they don't have family or social supports around them. The, The sort of things that we just take for granted. We're inspired by the transformation that these ministries are bringing into the lives of people and, in fact, the lives of whole communities. And we rejoice when we hear the difference that they're making not only to the physical well-being of people, but spiritually through the gospel. We're moved by compassion at a very human level, and this is actually good, of course. We should be moved by compassion, and we should delight in the fruit of our prayers and our donations, along with those of many, many other people. We're one small part. The fact is that your prayers and your donations do make a big difference in people's lives. But there is a bigger context to our giving. 
Paul didn't need the gift that the Philippians sent to him, not because God had already miraculously provided for his needs in some way. That's not what he says at all. He didn't need it because he had found the secret to contentment in every situation, even in the midst of privation. He says, I have learned the secret of being content. And it's interesting that Paul is probably borrowing from the language of Stoic philosophy here. The Stoics used the word contentment to refer to self-sufficiency, and they didn't necessarily mean financial self-sufficiency. What they meant was resilience and, and just distancing yourself from the cares of the world, being indifferent about things, not having things. Self-sufficiency. I have the goods within myself to rise above my circumstances. But Paul upends this because he is indifferent to the things of the world, but it's not because he's self-sufficient. Once upon a time he would have said that, but now he says no, it's because his sufficiency is in Christ. He's found something far greater than material wealth or human self-sufficiency. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Do I have material needs? Christ enables me to endure. Do I have plenty? It's still Jesus who gives me strength to remain faithful. And so he can say to the Philippians, in response to their generous gift, that my God will supply all your needs. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean material provision. There are a lot of generous people who find themselves in need. And the fact is that what most of us in Australia need is not material, it's spiritual. And as I read these words, I have to admit that I feel challenged uh, to be a little bit more indifferent to the cares of the world. But all the same, God is able to supply, whether it's spiritual or material, and he will supply. And this means that in Christ we can afford to take the risk of being generous. Our first question does not need to be, what am I going to do if I give this away? Because we have a God who's got us. The other part of the context to our giving is what our giving means. As important as our giving is to our partners, in a practical sense, and I know that they'll value anything we can give them, it's important for us in a spiritual sense. Paul says to the Philippians, it's a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And Paul is using the language of Old Testament sacrifices here. In the Old Testament, there were all sorts of sacrifices. Some were for sin, but many weren't. Some were just an expression of thanksgiving or devotion to God. When you live in a subsistence farming economy, if you sacrifice a sheep or a cow, that's a really big deal. In making these sacrifices, the people were expressing their devotion to God and uh, their gratitude for his favor to them. It was part of their covenant with him, or the covenant he'd made with them, actually. And for his part, he would bless the people as his people. 
Now, of course, in Jesus, uh, we've done away, or Jesus has done away with blood sacrifices through his own sacrifice. But we're still a people in covenant with God, now in covenant through Jesus. By his death on the cross, Jesus has brought us into covenant with the Father. The offerings that we bring, as meagre as they may feel sometimes, delight him. Like a parent delights in the scribbled drawings of a young child. It warms God's heart when it's done from a genuine place. And as a covenantal God, God the Father still loves to bless his people. This isn't a tit-for-tat thing. Some people think, oh, I've got to tithe, I've got to give so that God will bless me. No. It's not about making a sacrifice so that God will bless me. That is actually just crass manipulation and God's not up for that. But it is that in sacrificing, we align our hearts with his. You know, when we have need, we create space for God to move in our lives. But it's also just an expression of that devotion. And you know, we know in human relationships, when we know someone likes us, we just sort of move into that. When we know someone doesn't or we think someone doesn't, our human reaction is to move away from that. Now, in Jesus, of course, Jesus says to love our enemies. So we have to find a way of overcoming that by his grace. But God is always moving in towards us. It's a matter of whether we will reciprocate and receive his grace. In making a sacrifice, we're expressing our delight in him. So in Christ, gospel giving is is divine. It's a divine activity. And all of this is why historically Christians have tended towards generosity. Do you know, even towards non-Christian secular causes, Christians tend to give more than the general population. But we do have a tendency, naturally, because we're kingdom people, to want to give generously towards kingdom causes. Causes that further the kingdom of God. Because we are people who are recipients of God's outrageous generosity. Christ generously gave his all for us, and so we give our all for him. We're a people whose security is not in the things of the world, and it's not in ourselves either. We're not like the Stoics who are self-sufficient. We have our sufficiency in Christ, whether we have much or little. We have a freedom to be generous and a motive to give as an act of worship to our faithful Father. So as we invite you to partner with our kingdom partners uh, today, we're doing so, we are doing so, to make a tangible difference in the world. These organizations, these people are doing things that matter. But more than that, this is an invitation into a journey of faith with God, a God who can supply all your needs according to his riches and glory as we engage in what is an act of worship. And because Christ is our sufficiency, we don't need to limit ourselves by fear because God is faithful. But we don't need to give out of a pressure or obligation either because an offering 
brought freely and with a sincere heart is pleasing to a covenant God. This is a covenant act with a covenant God, regardless of the size of the offering. And so today we're giving to good causes because of need. We give because in Christ we can and because we have a God who is good and is worthy of our worship and our sacrifice.